The opportunity to gather this afternoon is certainly a great blessing already. And although certainly many could be said we know that are ill and unable to be with us, we're so thankful each of us are able to be here, capable of doing so, and that we can gather in such a way that we feel sure that the God of heaven will be satisfied and pleased and that you and I can be blessed, having said that we have been here. You may have already noted in light of the title of the lesson that we're going to cast a spotlight tonight on what we've done already, in fact, having to do with the element of singing. Singing in the church. Joe read from a moment ago from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. It was back on that occasion that we'd read saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. In the midst of the church there, the Hebrew writer affirmed the existence of the usage of singing as an element of praise. This opening slide is one that probably will have nothing of great revelation on it, but it will at least guide us as we begin to move into the subject of the lesson tonight. We understand what the word sing means. I would submit there are very few people on earth that would misunderstand the word sing. If you in conversation make reference to you or someone else singing, we understand what that person is doing. In fact, it's also to be noted in Amos 6 verse 5, though, that there were some in the ancient era who, in fact, were doing music in the wrong way, a way that did not please God. Tonight, we're going to reflect somewhat carefully and in some detail on singing in the church. Look at the next point on that slide. It still is safe to say it continues to be a point of some controversy, a point that is the source of much discussion a point that, quite frankly, has been the source of some division. But you and I know it ought never to have been so. What does the Scripture say? Romans 4 verse 3 asks a haunting question. What saith the Scripture? That is the aim, the goal, the mission of both you and me tonight. And thus, let's close that particular slide like this. There are many things that could well be done in the name of and in the aspect of religion, even the aspect of worship, that God would not find pleasing. Just because a person worships does not mean that that which is done is pleasing unto God, and it does not mean that He will accept it. Many examples in the Bible could be listed toward that end. The closing of Amos 5 is perhaps as clear as any. In verses 21 to 24 of that chapter, God expressly noted to the people of Israel, You have brought sacrifices, but I will not accept them. You have engaged in assemblies, but I do not have any interest in what you're doing. Now that's a thunderous matter to think that individuals could assemble in the name of religion and yet supposedly even in the name of God and it not be pleasing to Him. And yet that's exactly what was said then. We could dip as far back as Genesis 4. Cain and Abel brought sacrifices. And you and I will remember that God looked with favor upon what Abel brought. He did not look with favor on what Cain brought. And in fact, God rejected what Cain brought. And Cain was sufficiently furious. He took the life of his brother. We might use all of that to say this. The singing aspect in worship is important. In fact, it is as important as any of the other aspects of worship. And so tonight, what might we learn about the case of worship as it relates to our singing? Let me use the first slide. 
as a statement, at least bringing to our attention some of those matters that have been and continue to be the source of some amount of controversy. Let's start at the top. It would probably be safe to say that one thing for which the Church of Christ is at least by and large known is its a cappella music and worship. That is, vocal singing and that alone. But let's be quick to say that that does not mean that there aren't some things that still have been the source of some discussion. Look at this. You and I know that there are some churches of Christ. That is to say, that name is on the building, and yet as a part of their worship, there are mechanical instruments of music being used. There are some congregations in Nashville that openly do this. Tonight we'll discuss something about that. But please take note here, there are some individuals who are making a different set of decisions. But that isn't all. You'll notice there are some who have openly advocated the appearance of a, of a choir. That is to say, a selected few individuals who perhaps wear specialized clothing and who occupy a special place. And they are often positioned in a rather noteworthy location. And during the song service, they are the primary ones doing the singing. A choir. But even that isn't all. What about a solo? There are at least beginning to be more occurrences in which a single individual, perhaps a male, perhaps a female, this person is singled out and that individual sings in a very noteworthy way during the course of the worship. What about solos? Does God authorize them? What about choirs? Does God authorize them? Let's look at the next one. There are also perhaps a noteworthy set of circumstances in which specialized music takes place. Now, quite often, a particular phrase that's used in relation to this is a praise team. You perhaps can get the idea perhaps like this. In an audience of people, there likely are some who are more skilled at music. Maybe they've even had training in music. And maybe they are blessed with a better voice in light of certain parts of music. Maybe someone is blessed in alto and someone in tenor and someone in bass and someone in soprano. And so what can often be done is the congregation will give a microphone to those people. And so while everyone else sings without a microphone, these selected few are such that their voices obviously are amplified significantly because they're singing into microphones and the idea is they can lead everybody else who is singing that same part they are. Does God authorize a praise team? Would that be reasonable? Look even further. What about clapping? It's again rather easy to notice that too is becoming far more prevalent would it be okay for you and I to clap during the song service? Now, some would say we aren't playing any instrument. Would it be okay if we clap to the rhythm of the music? All of these are very good questions. Let's invest our time tonight to not only discuss them, but use the Word of God, of course, to provide us the sole answer to any and all of it. And so it is, as we close that slide... May we be quick to say that sometimes those who advocate these things are rather strongly emotional about it. Our interest is not emotion. That won't satisfy. What saith the Scripture? 
If I could invite your attention to three verses of Scripture, and I've listed all of them in full from the King James translation on the slide before you. First of all, in Ephesians 5, verse number 19, "...speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord." That discussion was found in the midst of that set of chapters, highlighting the practical utilization of unity and what that means. And it had just begun in verse 18 with an insistence on being filled with the Spirit of God. According to Paul, a natural part of that is going to be then the manifestation in terms of singing. But look at the next verse, Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Now that verse again, rather powerful as we'll see shortly, very direct. One last one is the one that was read in our hearing earlier tonight. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, saying, and here's a quotation now from a portion in the Old Testament, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. It would seem very interesting to notice, especially in light of the last one. We know very well there were many occurrences in the Old Testament in which individuals would play instruments in one way or another during the course of their worship. It was those instruments ordained by David, 2 Chronicles 29. But notice, as the New Testament writer quoted from the Old Testament, he did not quote any playing of an instrument. He quoted a part where there was singing. He quoted a part where there was vocal a cappella singing. Let's study about all of this in more detail tonight. As we do that, the next slide is just going to lead us in an expository way through many of the statements that are made. And let's look at them then one by one. The first phrase in that Ephesians 5.19 passage was this, "...speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs." Let's cast a bit of an emphasis upon that phrase, speaking to yourselves. And did you notice, the music then that is a part of and is that which God has cast His favor upon is this music that is categorized by speaking to yourselves. In other words, there's a reciprocal arrangement in it. We're speaking one to the other. Please notice again what that includes and what it also does not include. And I've tried to highlight it like this. The words in Greek, as well as in English for that matter, are plural. Notice we are thus vocally and reciprocally singing one to the other. That completely eliminates the possibility of a solo. There's no way for one person, you see, to engage in speaking to anybody else. There's no reciprocal arrangement in it. There's one speaking to a group, but the group isn't speaking anything back. May I suggest a solo is not authorized in the context and power of that music that you and I read about in the pages of the New Testament. But in as much as speaking to yourselves... Notice what correctly follows. And I added the Colossians passage with this one. 
In that Colossians passage, again, it reads, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. One another. May I say, here again is an emphasis upon the Ephesians passage had highlighted it speaking to yourselves, and the Colossians passage, one another. There is a mutual reciprocal arrangement in which the individuals are all collectively participating as they sing one to another. A choir cannot satisfy this. If you had some selected few singing and everybody else listening, there is not the reciprocal discussion that's highlighted in both these passages. Notice also in light of that second one, the Greek word in fact, seems to powerfully highlight an exchange or an interchange of action. As each one participates, as each individual sings with the capability that he or she has, each one is involved in this action, and it's a mutual teaching, a mutual admonition. No wonder in that light, the closing thing on that slide, the powerful presentation in the midst of the church, the text says, will I sing praise unto thee. And therefore, when you and I gather, it is always our strong desire to do solely and only what God has said that He wants by full authorization of what He has revealed to us. So far, we've noticed two points. Let's look at some additional ones based on singing and these passages before us. Borrowing again from that text in Colossians 3, may I again cast at least some emphasis upon that one. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We aren't at all shocked that teaching has a part to play in the religion of Jesus Christ our Lord. Did He not say in Matthew 28, 19, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's Mark's version. Matthew's version, All power given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Would you please note this, though? That teaching, on the one hand, notice one teaches and then baptizes, and then you continue to teach. Have you ever realized, though, that when we sing, we are teaching? That's what the inspired writer said. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another how? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These songs, then, that we collectively sing, we are teaching each other. We are urging each other. We are admonishing each other. And if someone is amiss, we are strongly reminding them that they're lost. And we're reminding them that Jesus, of course, would desire that they repent and do, and do things in a different way. That word urge or that word exhort or that word admonish, it often carries a very strong sense behind it. Speaking of this matter of teaching, notice what this eliminates. There isn't a mechanical instrument of music on earth that can teach anything. People can play them, 
And just as Paul would be so quick to point out in 1 Corinthians 14, they are lifeless instruments. They're lifeless. Now, there are those who are skilled at playing them, but that instrument can't teach anything. It can't admonish. It can't urge. It cannot do anything this verse demands. May I again say, by direct authorization then, they are not authorized. We would not be acceptable before God utilizing these because God has not given His stamp of approval to them. Just like choirs, just like solos, this verse also eliminates the usage of a mechanical instrument of music. No wonder the last point then might be this. It's at this point, if you're familiar with the history of the Restoration Movement, there came to be a rather dramatic point of discussion. We looked at this at least at some point in passing during the lesson last Sunday when we reflected on the Restoration Movement. It was in the early 1920s. By that point, of course, a number of those individuals we mentioned last Sunday had passed away, but N.B. Hardeman was alive. It came to be that there was a rather powerful set of opportunities, a debate, if you please, a discussion, I think, as they called it. It was held at the Ryman Auditorium, if memory serves me right, in the spring of 1923. For five sessions... The thing was so full, they had to turn people away. People clamoring to know, what does the Bible say? Does it authorize mechanical instruments of music or not? On the one side was N.B. Hardeman, defending the fact the Bible does not authorize it and asserting in powerful terms and tones the truth on that, on that matter. On the other hand, Ira Boswell, as I remember, was who he debated. A Baptist, as I recollect, and he, of course, strongly took the position the Bible does authorize it. The key verse that Mr. Boswell turned to time and again was Ephesians 5, verse 19. Now, that's the one we've already read tonight, but let's look at it, perhaps through the lens that he had tried to use it, and let's reflect briefly on the nature of that discussion. The phrase that occurs in that passage speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In Greek, the phraseology is this, singing and soloing. That phrase, two words, making melody, in the Greek text is the word solo, P-S-A-L-L-O. And literally, the word comes from an original which means to twitch or to, or to twang. And so, Mr. Boswell at that point says, there it is. God is authorizing us to twang or to twitch something. And that could be just as well a guitar as it could anything else, so he said. And Mr. Hardeman, with the most profound of ease and logic, made a number of points. Devastating Boswell's argument. Absolutely devastating it. Now, it continued for a few more sessions, but Mr. Boswell was never able to overwhelm the presentation. Mr. Hardeman simply presented this. That word in the ancient language was always and invariably used with the identification of what it was that had to be twitched or played. In other words, the word is never used without the object that is to be played. And Mr. Hardeman simply said, God tells you what you're twitching here. Let's finish the verse. 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There, Mr. Hardiman simply admitted, sure enough, that's what the word means. But as, it, as was always the case, what was being twitched is the heart. Nothing else, nothing besides. Devastated the argument of Mr. Boswell. May you and I never forget, then God has told us, when you and I sing, we understand there is a vibration, if you please, of the vocal cords. There is the presentation of music. But you and I know it's the vocal presentation that we find it authorized and presented in such a beautiful way in many New Testament passages. As you and I close that slide, may I also say there's really one other element in presentation that could be presented in light of that verse. Let's notice it yet again. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If making melody does include the playing of an instrument, that would mean every one of us would have to play one. That'd mean every one of us would have to play, and that'd be the only thing acceptable. To my knowledge, there isn't any who are willing to go that far, but yet that would be the logical conclusion of the Greek text, if, if it includes it. You and I know that it does not. At this point, look at the next conclusion. In both those passages, both the Colossians and the Ephesians passage, it points out that there is mention of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You and I have been given the propriety from God to sing that which would be a psalm, P-S-A-L-M. There are some songs in our book that are patterned after the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. They literally are psalms set to music. You probably can think of some of them, drawn from Psalm 26, Psalm 144, Psalm 148, just to name a few. And yet, in light of all of them, they would be perfectly scriptural to sing a song that's patterned after one of those psalms of the Bible. But notice what else is there, psalms and hymns. A hymn is a particular righteous or at least godly related theme that's set to the music you and I can read. And thus we can sing in accordance to that beautiful thought. Many times we sing about the greatness of God, or we sing about the nature of heaven, or we sing about the attribute of life and the safety we're guaranteed in light of death. There are many passages in the Bible that, of course, relate to those things, and what a lovely matter it is to sing them. Lastly, we notice a spiritual song. Surely, when you and I give thought to the sentiment of a biblical idea that is presented in the words of a song, how appropriate that would be. It is at this point that we could certainly be thankful for the song leaders who look over the songs and they make sure that the songs that they select have messages that are consistent with the Word of God so that we are singing what would be pleasing to Him in every way. No wonder in light of these songs, we have an interest then in lifting our voice. Would this not be a fair occasion, an appropriate time to point out? It is a command to sing. In all these verses, sing praise in the midst of the church, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching and admonishing one another in that same way. 
it would be just as sinful to attend the services and choose to not sing as it would be to attend the services and choose to not partake the Lord's Supper or to choose not to pray or to choose not to engage in the other things that God has commanded. If we can at all, we must sing. Otherwise, we are not pleasing to Him. Notice point number five. What is it then in all of these verses that so loudly bubbles to the surface of consideration? What kind of music does He want? God has been very clear. He has authorized singing. He has authorized that vocal manifestation in which we sing one to the other. I've used that word as you can tell. That which is then in harmony with the teaching of the New Testament is a cappella, congregational singing. And that's what you and I thrill to do. We don't rely on a solo or a choir or a chorus or a mechanical set of instruments. A cappella, congregational singing. With those kinds of things at least presented, notice what that would outlaw. If it is God's statement that we must teach and admonishing one another, then it would be entirely possible for some kinds of vocal music to not be satisfactory. A vocal music, even though it's a cappella, that would not do what these verses indicate would not be acceptable. It would, in fact, be the kind of music that would be without an instrument if there were a group of people up here yodeling. But yodeling is not singing. Whistling is not singing. Humming is not singing. And therefore you and I would not feel it safe to engage in any of them either. He has called us to sing, not to yum, not to hum or yodel, not to engage in whistling, not these other things that may be in some way, though vocal, they're non-communicational. They are not teaching anybody anything. May I again say that would not be authorized. That kind of authority leads us to close that slide and come to one of the last matters we were interested in considering. Earlier, we raised a number of issues that are in some way troubling the body of Christ. Things like, again, mechanical instruments and choruses and choirs and solos. But there's another one, clapping. Would it be okay with God if during the course of the service we clap just as an interest to maintain the rhythm of the song, just as an interest to, in essence, maintain the movement through it? All we can do is allow the Word of God to guide us on this. Human opinion is of no interest to us. Human speculation is pointless. As you and I look back to this, what technically, what is clapping? May I say to you, there is no difference in beating a drum and clapping. A drum head is made of basically the same things human skin's made of. If you're going to authorize one, you might as well give thought to the other one. There is no difference in percussion from clapping hands and playing a drum. Now that being said, look at perhaps some of these points. One must be mighty careful to look with some interest at the nature of what the Word of God at least brings before us. It is overwhelmingly the case that God would desire that worship, of course, must be decent and in order. 
That's one of the things that, again, can be a very troubling matter. If you tune into some worship services on TV, it sometimes looks chaotic. It sometimes looks very disorganized. It looks as if it's difficult to even know what's happening and when. That surely is not consistent with 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 to 40. There twice God makes the statement, He's not the author of confusion, but rather He wants His worship to be done decently and in order. As we at least give thought to applying that to the possibility of clapping, notice again, we're at least raising the point that percussion, as we've noticed it so far, has already been outlawed. God wants vocal a cappella singing. He does not want percussion. That means the playing of a drum, a triangle, a xylophone, all of that would not be acceptable. But that also would, of course, be the same kind of consideration as would be the case of clapping. May I invite you to consider the inconsistency that would occur in light of that, and thus may you and I always be cautious and very careful. One last thing. Special music. I mentioned earlier about praise teams. Would you and I be in a position to at least give our approval to that situation in which perhaps some talented individuals would be given a microphone? So they would, in essence, be the ones who primarily would be leading the singing. Now, there might be a gentleman up front as the major leader, but they would be the ones who would be leading each of the specific parts. That person with a microphone singing tenor would lead all the people singing tenor. And that person with a microphone singing alto would be the one leading and directing all of those singing alto. May I suggest again, there's problems with that. Problems that might be highlighted like this. I would say, among other things, that two matters are worthy of some consideration. One of which, what does that say about the organization? But perhaps the larger matter would be leadership. Many times those special teams are such that obviously the ladies have a part to play in this. Maybe there's a lady with her microphone singing soprano and a woman with her microphone singing alto. May I say that there's a female with a position of leadership in the, in the service of, of worship. That clearly is not consistent with 1 Timothy 2. In verses 11 and 12 of that chapter, we are again reminded, and it's also echoed in 1 Corinthians 14. Didn't Paul say, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Such a thing would not be a consistent usage of those verses. And not only that, notice again the importance of congregational a cappella singing. As we've studied some of these issues and some of these matters, albeit each one somewhat briefly, it has at least opened our discussion of and our appreciation of singing in the church. Let's close our lesson like this. We would be so quick to say that singing is a vital and essential part of New Testament worship. God does want music in worship. There is no doubt about that. But He has specified thoroughly what music He wants. Tonight, as we've discussed it, it's not the ones that's misled by some of these things we've discussed. It's rather simple vocal, congregational, a cappella singing. 
as we participate in it, we know that we may not be the most perfect singers, but we know God looks on the heart. And we know that it's a sweet-smelling matter before Him. How often does the Bible present to us that on those occasions when in the Old Testament He said, I will not accept your worship. And in Amos chapter 5, the music in which they were participating, God called it noise. He didn't like it. May you and I so present ourselves and so participate in a way that He will not call our song service noise. He will appreciate and understand that as we praise Him and honor Him, we do it in the way that He's prescribed. And we do it utilizing congregational a cappella singing. As we've studied this matter tonight, we do always offer the opportunity if anyone would wish to obey the gospel. Maybe as an alien sinner, you would wish to become a member of the body of Christ tonight. The teaching of the Scripture is, Believe in Jesus with all your heart, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you have wandered from the faith, though faithful at one time, no longer you are, come back to your first love. Jesus, with open arms, would love to receive you back to, again, anoint you to a position of faithfulness. If we could be of help to you tonight in that regard, we'd love to do that. We would simply use this particular time during this song of encouragement to offer an invitation for you to come. And if you'd wish to do that, do it now. While together we stand and sing. <laughs>